Have you seen the numbers that Power World's hit just this week? Number go up? As of yesterday, it was 19 million players, 12 million on Steam. It implies 7 million on Xbox. I'm wondering if this is going to be like the story of the moment or if this is going to be a game that really sticks throughout the year. So are you still playing? I am still playing. I've played, gosh, I don't want to talk about over 20 hours so far. It's out wow. two weeks. The polish starts to come off the further you get into the game, obviously, but it's really good. They, I mean, they've done You're a playing on job. Uh, PC or Xbox? PC. Okay, gotcha. That's, yeah, the Xbox version is like a few builds behind and like not as great of an experience right now. Awesome. Welcome to the show, everybody. We got a lot to cover today. First off, we're going to talk about some of the continued carnage for game industry layoffs, Microsoft earnings, and how Activision Blizzard fits into that. We have a couple of important stories to touch on with Apple, both the ongoing and next chapter of drama between Epic versus Apple, as well as this wild new EU policy and how it's going to affect game developers. And some breaking news, there is a rumor that Hasbro is in talks with Tencent to acquire the D&D brand. Why don't we just start off on a big bummer note and talk about more game industry layoffs? Fun. Yeah. So I think there's two things that caught our attention this week. Sadly, there was layoffs announced at Sega of America. The rumor is two separate batches of layoffs of 49 and 12 staff out of Sega's staff of 440. This is about 13% of the staff. So obviously not as big as Activision and Blizzard, but as far as a percentage of the company, very meaningful. It seems to be the norm rather than the exception for layoffs in gaming, unfortunately, right now. The other thing is we just want to give a little more clarity. As the dust has settled, we knew about the Microsoft Activision Blizzard, basically the whole gaming segment layoffs for Microsoft last week. Now that dust has settled, we know a little bit more about it. So 1,900 employees total were laid off. Two really notable ones were Blizzard's president, Mike Ybarra, and chief design officer, Alan Adam. Of note, I've been trying to get some clarity if this was a resignation or if they were forced out. It seems like the language around that is still pretty vague. I don't know, Xander, if you heard anything otherwise. I think Alan is like one of the initial designers. He like did all the early games and one of their founders, I believe. Yeah, these are like very heart and soul people at the company. Another update since last week is most of the esports division was also added in another sub round of this round of layoffs. Xander, this is a lot of doom and gloom in layoffs lately, but like earnings are still going up. I know we're covering earnings more later. What's your take on the continued trends that we see? First and foremost, I think this is just a continuation of the trend that we've been seeing, right? That's not really anything interesting new to say. But if our thesis is smaller game teams produce better games and bigger outcomes, this is a continuation of that. And as we dig into the earnings later, spoiler alert, ATVI is not net profitable. So it's actually decreasing their operating margin. Obviously, they need to do layoffs. So we'll talk about that when we get to earnings. The other thing I have is more of just a personal anecdote, which is I went into an event in the city yesterday, hung out with a bunch of very senior games folks, heavily mobile bent. And of the eight to 10 people I've talked to, almost all of them were currently unemployed, which is yeah. freaking wild. Like, I mean, we know how brutal it's been, but like, I didn't even like notice until I left the event, talked to, oh, you're oh, unemployed, oh, I'm between jobs, oh, I'm hanging out, oh, I'm doing consulting. And then I was like walking to the car, I'm like, holy crap, everyone I talked to, except for like one person... <laughs> is currently unemployed. So, I mean, it's real. It's brutal. These are like senior people who were at the top of their game firing all cylinders. So it's just yeah. crazy to see. No, I definitely see the same thing. A lot of like really established growth marketers that are kind of hustling, doing gig-based work, consulting, and a lot of those very secure jobs of running large in-house growth teams, that was historically considered like one of the safer parts of the industry because you're considered a growth driver for the business if you're doing your job well. 
But yeah, it seems like no one is safe right now. Yeah, I'm going to sound like a broken record here. But the thing that really was the through line between most of the folks we talked to is they were all focused on mobile UA. So if you recall, a couple of years ago, Apple did something to really hurt mobile UA called the ATTA scan. We've talked about this ad nauseum. And I believe this is a continued ripple effect of that impact. I mean, there's also the downstream effect of like, this is 12 years into an investment cycle in mobile, right? You saw a huge growth sector. It's now not growing. You're seeing consolidation. So I think it's just like a pretty typical cycle, but it's brutal. And I'm like, what do we do with all these excess, you know, really smart people? You got to start some new companies or something. Yeah. I mean, we did an episode recently with the game site guys and we talked about like mobile shrinking slightly as a segment in recent years, which is like definitely a new trend. And scan ATT is one big factor of that. Another thing I attribute is just sort of lack of innovation in traditional mobile yeah. play game design. But with that happens in a time of defensiveness for the industry, right? It's more doubling back on what works. So you get diminishing returns on that. And the last yeah. thing that I think about a lot is just where the market is overall. Me on my soapbox again, but I think we had an era of growth for mobile gaming where, where there was no profitability at the end of the rainbow, where it was a bunch of companies bringing users in, growing top line, but often without a solid foundation for actually delivering profit. And everyone was competing that way, outbidding each other. And most were trying to achieve some kind of exit. A lot of acquisition happened in the space. And now the dust has settled, it's a bad economy and these companies need to be profitable. And so there's a lot of panic of how to, I don't want to say cut the fat, that's demeaning to good people who lost their job, but like they're trimming everywhere they can to try to take these distances that either have been acquired or never got acquired. But if they want to survive, they have to turn into sustainable business. And I think there's a lot of thrash around that. Yeah. I mean, I think it's fair to say the majority of mobile game development companies at scale had upside down business models. And we're seeing that really, really play out now. Cool. So next, I wanted to talk a bit about Microsoft earnings. They're really smart earnings analysts. What I want to talk about is the gaming perspective on this, because that's what we do best. But you can't talk about Microsoft without talking about the top line. And, you know, Microsoft just recently passed $3 trillion to be the most valuable company in the world. Craziest thing keeps growing. I mean, you could do way worse. Basically, anything you did besides buy Microsoft stock has been way worse over the last couple of decades. But some top line numbers. Microsoft announced 18% revenue increase, reaching 62 billion this quarter, that's top line, and then a 33% increase in net revenue, totaling 21.9 billion. Gaming is now the third most lucrative product for Microsoft behind the Microsoft Cloud segment and Office, which are obviously the giant, huge growers overall. The cloud business revenue was up to 33.7 billion, 24% year over year. Can you guess why? Guess AI? AI? Yeah, how'd you know? They're selling their AI-enabled products, which everyone's investing in. I think this is the most interesting thing. Xbox content and services revenue up 61%. And overall gaming revenue was up 49% to $7.11 billion. But, and hold on, this is the important part, 44% of that is Activision Blizzard acquisition. So they've right. set all-time records for Xbox, PC, and mobile during this quarter. But it's because they bolted on Activision, Blizzard, and King, right? right. So it's like, if you take the biggest game publisher, fold it into your business, obviously you're going to see insane top micro. But here's the important thing. Since the deal closed in October, they've added over $2.1 billion in revenue, but an operating loss of $430 million on Microsoft balance sheet. Okay, so it's wow. unprofitable growth, right? They're buying growth at huge expense. And so like when that happens... Of course, they're having layoffs. I mean, this was the plan. So these layoffs aren't unexpected, but I mean, this is basically what happens whenever you see consolidation, especially when you're getting acquired. Man, it's brutal. But Microsoft's Microsoft. Like, was there a better company you'd want to hold going forward the next 10 years? I know one, I just kind of spewed a lot. Any thoughts here? Yeah, so we really see two competing narratives here. I mean, we covered in the segment earlier today, 
this massive layoff from Microsoft's gaming division. And then we see the earnings report hailing how much net new revenue is being driven from the system. Obviously, how much new revenue is being driven from the gaming segment. Obviously, they're betting really huge on this for the future of the business. I think it's going to be really messy figuring out what this new era looks like. But Microsoft has definitely proven to be an efficient long-term operator, finding a lot of opportunities for cross-selling, cross-pollination, insert corporate buzzwords between the different parts of their ecosystem. And I'm sure that they're going to continue to find those efficiencies in gaming. But I don't think it's going to be a really fun time to work there, honestly, in the early years of this merger. And I'm sure there's a lot of not super happy people reading about Microsoft, bragging about their earnings while their friends and colleagues are recently unemployed in gaming. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the other thing to interesting to think about for Microsoft is they're really trying to redefine what the economics of gaming are with Game Pass. And so I'm still very, I don't want to say concerned, but I mean, I guess that is the right word, concerned about what the economics for the game industry overall, if you Netflixify gaming. So I have a theory that game revenue is more resilient than television revenue or movie revenue, but I'm sure that's what the fucking television movie executives said as well during this period. And so we'll see what happens, but I am definitely cautious. Not slowing down anytime soon. Cool. Next up, we have the Xander Rails on Apple again segment. <laughs> Two things this week. The top line for this is there's a new app policy in Europe in response to the Digital Markets Act, which is an EU policy meant to regulate how digital marketplaces work. Apple offered a new policy, which is compliant. And so this is how it works. App companies can opt for a new commission structure instead of the 30% IAP fee. Great. That sounds great. I hate 30% IAP fees. The fees drop. It is much variables, but it basically drops between 10 and 20%. However, and this is really, really, really freaking important, any company that has over 1 million users on iOS per year have to pay 50% core technology fee on the entire user base. And they could never reverse this decision. They have a calculator online. And if you start using the calculator and playing with any variables, this just blows the cost out of the water. It's like multiplicatively more expensive for like the majority of apps to go with this version versus the other version. So it's a pretty crazy policy. It like follows the letter of the law, they think, in terms of following the Digital Markets Act. At least they're posturing that it is, but this is obviously not following the spirit of the law. And I expect there to be more pushback from the EU regulators overall, because I think this is just like really, really disingenuous by Apple. Well, Xander, Apple estimates that less than 1% of developers will pay this fee. So it's really not a big deal, right? Yeah, of course. Well, I mean, they're smart because they have this small business program and that is part of how you get to 10% fee structure is like if you're in a small business program under a million installs, you get 10%. But none of the revenue comes from that segment, right? It all comes from the high end. And to be clear, I'm being sarcastic because we we all know that like the wealth in games is extremely concentrated. So Apple, I think, often touts these somewhat misleading metrics about the number of developers that have to pay the fee rather than the percentage of the ecosystem revenue that they're taking. Right. Most mobile games fail. Most mobile games generate like absolutely negligible revenue. And it's a hits-driven business, absolutely. So it might be that 1%, but that 1% might represent 30% Huge. of all revenue. Like, I don't actually know what that is, so don't quote me on that. And even though this is based on an EU rulings, Andrew, this affects all app developers? So it's an EU-specific policy. So the ecosystem is fragmenting. We kind of covered this last year on the podcast, but there's specific rules around South Korea. There's now specific rules around the EU. The United States has other rulings, and it's just going to continue to fragment. And basically what this is, is they're just going to get army of lawyers in every geo, like hold the line 
hold the line. Yeah. How long can we get 30% commission for? And just milk and milk and milk. And there's a reason why they're like the number one cash generating business of all time or up there is because they have these types of really aggressive policies. Got it. Yeah. The, the wild thing about this that I really fixate on is how it affects player bases in different parts of the world really differently and actually prevents games from coming to certain markets with this policy. So say that you have a game that's really popular in India and you're a European developer. You're no longer marketing that game in India. And in fact, you might want to delist it from the app store because the average user value from that market compared to other markets is generally much lower. Yeah. And, and there's tons of markets where the average LTV of a player is far below 50 cents. Yeah. Well, yeah. you could just pay the 30% IP fee and not switch over to the new terms. <laughs> why, why change? It's so That's easy. the entire fucking point of this policy is to make you happy to pay 30%. Yeah. These guys, what's the goal? It's really funny. Speaking of Apple and people fighting back, Epic had filed a new notice of non-compliance saying they intend to pursue a motion of contempt of court against Apple in regards to the way that they've enacted their new after policy in the US. So taking a step back a little bit, the Supreme Court declined to hear the ruling about Epic versus Apple. What that meant is the lower court's ruling went into effect and Apple said, okay, fine, you can link out of your apps to do web transactions, but you still have to pay 27% fee. And Epic said, crazy, this is nonsense. I've taken it back to court and hoping to hold them in contempt of court. I love it. Thank you, Epic. Someone's got to fucking do this and you got the money to do this. And, you know, Tim Sweetie, you are our lord and savior. <laughs> I mean, Warren, any thoughts here? Be a little bit disingenuous, uh, but only a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Once again, I will state Apple, you are a valued partner of Uptick. We appreciate you letting us launch all of our clients' games on your platform and giving them lots of featuring support. Yeah, we touched on this a little bit last week before this new chapter of Epic versus Apple, but we covered the news of this 27% fee. It really undercuts Apple's thesis of why the fee exists in the first place, which is we are providing a bundle of services for this fee. One of the big ones is smooth, safe payment processing and refunding. And by applying what is essentially the same fee, I mean, 27% versus 30%, come on. And saying like, we actually are going to give you none of those safeguards and we're actually going to create increased walls and fear in the consumer doing this transaction. But don't worry, we're going to still basically charge the same rate for it. Yeah. I mean, there's an interesting, so this is how they justify it. What are credit card fees? It's like 2%, right? And so they're like, oh, well, our transaction fee is 3%. The other 27% is just a licensee fee for our IP in this sanctity of our walled garden. So I mean, I don't buy it. I think it's ridiculous, but that's the market, I guess. All right. Up next today, we had a juicy rumor that seems fairly legit that we wanted to cover. This is a rumor that Hasbro is seeking to sell the Dungeons and Dragons brand to Tencent. So uh, we're referencing here an article from Pandaily. Supposedly, this was something that was brought about oddly by the success of Baldur's Gate 3. So Larian Studios, the developers of Baldur's Gate 3, were able to do something that I think Hasbro had never been able to do with any of their first-party game development efforts, which is world-dominating video game with the D&D brand in it since their acquisition of that brand. And I'm not surprised, Larian has a significant investment from Tencent. Mm -hmm. So the story goes that supposedly with the success of Baldur's Gate 3, Larian had a real interest in potentially acquiring the brand by some means, but they're not of the size uh, and financial status to be able to do so. So they basically approached Tencent, according to this article, and asked Tencent if they would consider acquiring the brand. So there's a lot to unpack here. One thing, we haven't gotten Hasbro's earnings for Q1 2024, 
but their last couple have been pretty dismal. And we've been talking about ongoing layoffs, like Hasbro was one of the bigger layoffs of recent period. So I think they have been cutting costs left and right, looking for revenue. I think this might be a case of like killing the golden goose. They have one segment within Hasbro that's really profitable, which is Wizards of the Coast. Wizards of the Coast has two major IPs, Dungeons, Dragons, and Magic. Historically, Wizards has said in their earnings calls, we are under-monetizing Dungeons and Dragons. A goal of ours is to better monetize that player base, which the players love to hear, by the way. So this is essentially them, I think, admitting we haven't figured out how to monetize D&D. And so we're going to ring the register and see if we can just leverage this and bag some cash while we're bleeding and sell off the brand. So there's a lot to unpack here. Um, I have thoughts, but Xander, what do you think about this rumor? So we'll see how this bakes out. I think that my reading of the article was they're like selling off long-term IP rights to the digital license. So that was my understanding of how I read this. And, you know, I think that makes sense in regards to Hasbro, just because Hasbro is not a digital company. I mean, like, you have to think about what, what a core iterates a competency. Hasbro accidentally like stumbled upon two of the most valuable digital IPs ever in Wizards of the Coast, which are, as you said, Dungeons and Dragons and Magic Gathering. And they both are now have wildly successful digital products. But Hasbro is a toy company, right? It's like they they make pieces of plastic. <laughs> That's what they're good at. So it's not crazy that they would outsource this. But my question is like, what's the long-term sustainable path for Hasbro. It's like, that's not a company I want to be buying stock in anytime soon. There's a digital core of excellence at that company. I mean, maybe somewhere buried deep in the Wizards of the Coast organization, but that's not where I'm placing my bets. Yeah, there was news last year of them shutting down some of their upstart game development initiatives at Hasbro as well. And yeah, I think they're just really proving that they haven't figured out how to conquer digital. I understand why they're selling the brand. It's kind of sad. I mean, but at the same time, I think knowing that Larian is a driving force behind this is a reason for some optimism. Anyone who's ever worked on IP-based game with a big licensor before knows that there's a lot of extra hurdles and huge amount of margin that you have to give from your game revenue in order to do that. And Larian has proved, even working within those constraints, they can absolutely crush it. And so I'm cautiously optimistic for this. I think in some ways that Larian might be better caretakers of the brand, as long as they have enough autonomy to do their thing right. um, under with Tencent if they become the official holder of the IP. But I actually kind of like this deal as, as sad as it is to see the brand leave potentially Hasbro and Wizards of the Coast. Yeah, we've witnessed Hasbro be a mediocre shepherd of some beloved brands. So maybe it's better living somewhere else. I hope Larian, who is a studio that I absolutely love, gets a lot of say in it. That being said, I'm always a little bit skeptical of selling off beloved American brands to overseas corporations. We'll see. Does Tencent have a good track record of shepherding historic American brands? Like, I can't think of any. But I well, what could be what could be wild? One thing I'm just thinking about now is where Wizards of the Coast and Hasbro's expertise actually lies, which is with more physical products, traditional board gaming, tabletop RPG. We might be entering an era where, at least in the interim, Wizards and Hasbro are licensing D and D from Tencent. Because like the dominant use case for the brand could become this new era of digital games driven by Larian and other developers in the Tencent family. But Tencent doesn't have a center of excellence around you know, paper gaming, board gaming. Perhaps basically the, we just switch and now Wizards is sub-licensing that from Tencent. It's going to be really interesting to watch. We'll see. We'll see. It's going to be a new era for D&D. Don't mess it up. I just want more of those D&D movies. Did you see it? 
<laughs> they were not. I did not. <laughs> they were not very good. Awesome. That's a wrap. Lots to cover. Caught all over the place, but I hope you enjoyed it. Warren, take us out. Thanks, everyone, for joining us. As always, the podcast was brought to you by our team here at Uptick. At Uptick, we do all things to help games grow. That includes the user acquisition and creative and analytics work around that. But we also have a really awesome set of software that we use ourselves. It's been a big part of our kind of secret to success. And in the last year, we started opening that up and licensing it to other in-house teams. So your team can use the same tools that we've used here to drive close to 100,000 players a day into the games we support in very profitable, sustainable ways. So if you're a team building a game and looking to increase the efficacy of your user acquisition process, come chat with us. We're happy to see how we can help. You can reach us at uptick.com. That's U-P-P-T-I-C.com. Talk soon.